we're going to continue in this series. And, and, and in chapter 4, Abraham and his faith are really what I'm, going to mo- what, what I'm going to camp on because it's an amazing model for us. And the two main themes that we find in chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, are justification. Somebody say justified. Justified, justified never sinned. That's what justification is. It's justified and never sinned. We're gonna, and so two themes, we'll get that, I'll unpack that, because some of you are like a mule staring at a new gate right now. Like, whoa, I'm lost as a ball in high weeds. Okay, it's, it's good, we'll, we'll get through it. And the faith of Abraham. So, first of all, Paul starts in chapter 4 with some information that we need to know. Romans 4, verse 3 through 5. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we, we, we're kind of familiar with verse 3, but we usually don't follow through and understand what the following scriptures imply. One is that Abraham was declared righteous or just or justified. Justified, never sinned. And he hasn't done anything to deserve it. And in fact, verse 5 states that God justifies the ungodly. Wait a minute. I thought you had to kind of get every, you know, get your, your mud figured out before God justified you. That's not what the scripture says. It actually says, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So we have this huge thing going on in here that Paul is actually, you know what Paul is really doing in the first eight chapters of Romans? He's trying to lay this out, reiterate this, talk about this again and again and again. It's this important that we get this. So I want to continue as Paul more than doubles down on this for us. In Romans 4, verse 13 through 25, I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're basically going to kind of unpack things. Y'all ready? You good? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherents of the law who were to be heirs, faith is null. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16 says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham and who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he had considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, 
but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith is counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Justified, never sinned. Okay, so if you go back to Genesis 11, just hang in there with me. I know that was a lot of Scripture. I also know some of you are probably behind in your Bible reading, so we're just catching you up. Amen? Uh, that's joking. It's not condemning anybody, okay? It's just always fun. If you went back to Genesis 11, mankind had repopulated again after the flood, and the rescue that God provided through Noah and the ark, and you see that actually mankind had began to slip back into the same old patterns that came before the ark. Remember, like when, when, when God was sorry He made the earth, and He was about ready to wipe everybody out, and then He saw Noah and said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well now, it's like, no matter where you go, there you are. You would have thought coming off the boat, after what they had experienced, that there would be, man, we are going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna toe the line. And they hadn't. In fact, we find out that you know they started trying to build this, this tower, the Tower of Babel, and, and God scattered them, and all kinds of stuff. So we're going to pick this up, because here was an encounter with a man named Abram. In Genesis 12, 1-4, Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now listen, Abram. That was his name before God changed it. He had a father named Terah. And the Bible says that his father served other gods, other idols. So, you know, we see the, you know, just kind of slipping back into some of the same old junk. How, how many of you that's just been maybe frustrating in your life? Where you feel like, man, I, I take a step forward and it seems like I take two steps backwards and I'm, I'm there and I'm here and I feel strong one day and then I'm wavering the next day. I'm like, there's nothing new under the sun. And so what's happening um, is that despite the rescue of God, here we go again. So it wasn't like Abram was raised up from a God-fearing family or had a grandmother or a mother who prayed him into the kingdom. Lots of things we don't know. But we know that in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that Abram had fallen short. Abram was short. He came from an idolatrous family background. That, 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 that's, what, that's what he was surrounded by. In fact, we don't see anything about Abram like we did Noah that speaks of his life being redemptive, that he followed God with it all the time. We don't see anything. It's almost like, in fact, this verse speaks volumes right here. Let me go here and then I'll, I'll continue. Romans 4.17 
where it says, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence, the things that do not exist. It ultimately means that God chose a nobody. We don't see anything in Scripture that made Abram stand out. All we see was that basically here's mankind and they're doing the circle around the drain again. And then God just decides, hey, I think I'll use a guy named Abram. Hey, Abram, let's have an encounter. I mean, you can't draw anything else from the text because it's really not there. All were godless. All were sinful. And so he just decided to choose one of them. I'm going to choose. I mean, here it is. Now hang on to me like people that are super religious. But hang on to me. He said, I am going to just choose an ungodly person. And I'm going to justify them. I'm going to call them and declare over them, justified, never sinned. I'm going to do this because I can. And I'm like, man, that just absolutely messes with your head. But the big picture is that God is that Paul Paul's pointing out that Abraham started out as a nothing and God decided to pick a man for an encounter and his response to the encounter with God was considered faith. There's nothing to indicate that he chose Abraham because of his good works. In fact, Paul makes another strong statement about that in the first part of the chapter. He says in Romans 4, 9 through 10. Is this blessing then only for the, uns, for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised? Now, if you're really new to the church and new to the Old Testament, the mark of the covenant of God's people in the Old Testament would be the men would be circumcised. That meant they were following the law. And so Paul is writing this, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he'd been circumcised. So once again, Paul is making this point. He says, listen, he hasn't even got off the starting block yet, but I'm actually going to have an encounter with him. His response to God was faith. And when God saw the faith, he said, that's what righteousness looks like. Paul writes that the justification came before the circumcision. The circumcision, once again, was the evidence and confirmation of his belief. So this is kind of the stamp-out legalism statement that you were justified by God before anything that you did. And faith and belief then, your response attaches you and you turn into what God has done and what God is doing. So Abraham had an encounter with God and he believed God. And then in that belief, in that faith, in that response, God says, you are righteous. You are in right standing with me. That is profound. That's why I think Paul takes eight chapters to really kind of reiterate this thing and remind us. Abraham's response was then to walk that out. So let me unpack faith for just a moment or two this morning. Because it can kind of be ethereal. Well, I have faith. Okay, what is that faith? What is, what is faith? A lot of people really, defining faith can be kind of a, an interesting thing. First of all, let me, let me say this. We have the capacity, because it's been built in us, to have faith or trust in someone or something, right? Come on, we do. This tool has never let me down. This car has always started. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we do. We, we kind of place our faith in things. Like, um, ever step in an elevator? You have to have faith to step in an elevator. You're trusting that, number one, now I always look for the tag. You look for a little tag that said, this elevator was serviced on so and so forth. I've stepped in some elevators that were pretty shaky before. You know, and I'm looking at Robbie, and she's like, hang on, baby, we don't know what's going to happen, because you, you just watched the movie like Die Hard or something like that, right? Where there's like terrible things happening in elevators, <laughs> right? So you have to, have, you, I mean, we have the capacity, we put our trust in stuff. Think about that. How about an airplane? You've got to have faith to step in an airplane. You've got to have trust. You know, you're, you're hoping that, man, I hope this thing is maintained. I hope this thing mechanically is good because I just heard a story about, you know, something almost going down. And I don't know about you, but you know what I do? I always try to, pick, I, I always try to take a look at the pilot. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. When I'm going in and I see the pilot, I'm like, does he look sleepy? Does he look like he got a hangover? Does he look like he's been educated? Does he look like he just stayed at a Holiday Inn Express the night before and so he's going to fly the plane? And praise God for autopilot. <clears throat> I'm trusting. Or <laughs> how about, come on, how about like when you go to a potluck, y'all? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I went to a potluck the other day. I ain't telling you whose house it was. But it was family. And they came out with these oysters. And I'm like, those oysters look raw. How long they've been sitting out there? And he said, well, they're smoked. So I think I knew they'd been sitting out there for a long time. I'm like, okay, Lord Jesus, now I'm going to pray over my food and really mean it this time. But we also have the capacity to have our faith shaken. And it's amazing this tendency that we have to put our faith in anything except Jesus. Now come on, we, we know that faith is important, but what does it look like? Here's what the Bible says about faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek them. That seek Him. In the book Core 52, which we're covering with our Armor Up men's group, Saturday mornings, shameless plug, it's really good. Pastor Moore, Mark Moore writes this, and I agree with him. He said, the easiest way to think about faith is think about faith as fidelity. It's something more than just a belief because the Bible says that even the demons believe in Jesus. So there's more, there's substance. And so faith, one way to think about faith is faith is a transfer of loyalty. It's you're moving from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light. I'm transferring my fidelity. I'm transferring my loyalty. My address has changed. And in my address changing, 
then basically I'm going to put my full trust. I'm not just going to believe about God. I'm going to believe in Him. And then obedience is loyalty that's expressed. Because my faith, when I walk in faith, then I'm going to watch the, the, the aspect of obedience come because that's the loyalty. Back in the Old Testament, there was the law and circumcision was the mark, the expression of I'm in covenant with, with God. Faith is this assurance and obedience is the expression. Jesus said this, He said, if you love Me, you'll obey My commandments. I've, I've, I don't know about you, but I've run into at least one person over my lifetime that will say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't see the obedience expressed. Now, God's their judge. Romans 4.3 says that Abraham believed God, and after that step in response, he was partnered with the righteousness that God had provided. It's like, here's the justification, here, and the word is, is, is impute. Basically, it's like Abraham had this. It's like you going to the store and maybe back in the day when you could say, hey, you know what, would you put that on my account? Would you put that on my tab? And basically so, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So basically, here's, here's your account. And God steps in and says, I, I'm, I, because of Jesus, I'm going to take care of that account. You're in right standing. And then after that, he was partnered with the righteous because he responded in a way that God says was faith. Abraham believed God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It's impossible. And it's not like God is this, like, well, I'm really mad at you because you're not having faith. But it says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him because, I mean, what is the pleasure of God? The pleasure of God is that He would walk with His creation. That He would walk with His sons and His daughters. That would please Him. It pleases me as a father when my sons walk with me in unity and love. It pleases me as a, as a dad when they, when they honor me. I mean, it's like, yeah, there is a great relationship there. But when we unpack this, we have to understand faith is different from works. Faith does not depend on religious ceremony. Faith is not related to the law. Faith rests in the promise of God. And when Abraham believed and pledged, I'm, I, I want you to think about pledging your fidelity, your loyalty. When I went into covenant with my wife, that marriage covenant, I actually pledged my fidelity to her relationally. I would have a relationship with her like I would have with no other person on the earth. And when Abram believed and pledged, it put him in a different category, so to speak, into a different kingdom. God provided the salvation before our works. Justified. Justified, never sinned. I know it's hard. It's like, how does that work? But saving faith transforms as you have now attached yourself and are trusting Jesus. Charles Wesley wrote this. He breaks the power of canceled sin. So he not only canceled the sin, but then the journey was he breaks the power of the canceled sin. Because sometimes it takes a while to kind of get out of some of the old stuff that maybe you've been immersed in. How many of you had habits for years and years and years? And you realize, man, it's going to take a lot. It's going to, it's going to take the grace of God to change this in me. And praise God, it's there. 
And you can't misplace your faith. We misplace our faith all the time. Don't put your faith in politics. I mean, think about that. Each side is looking for their Messiah. If I just get this person in, it's going to be great. America will be great again. If I get this person in, it'll be great. I mean, when are we going to learn? I mean, when, when are you going you, you to find that? Well, just trust the science. Come on, man. we got to trust Jesus. Amen. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. When I think about the money that gets spent in making sure certain person, whoever your person is, is voted in. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. I'm thinking, man, I could transform our education system. I could trans. I could. I could, I could change. What could we change the world with? But we're always trying to find the Messiah out here, the Messiah there. Which actually, that was one of the issues with Jesus coming in. Is they thought he was going to be the political Messiah. Ultimately, anything other than Jesus is misplaced faith. Now listen, the Bible says nothing about Abraham having knowledge about God, and God shows up with a promise to a nobody and makes him into a somebody. He takes a nothing man and makes him the father of all nations because of his his decision and his reaction to that divine encounter. It was his response to God. Here's, Here's just a couple takeaways. One divine encounter. One divine encounter brings the potential of everlasting life, bondage is broken, freedom granted, and a new kingdom identity. One divine encounter, but it partners with your response. You respond to that one divine encounter, and it will change the, the lane that you have been driving down. Moses was just out in the wilderness, you know, just working and tending sheep and God shows up in a burning bush and he turns to see what this is and he met God. You have the capacity to do that. Every time I have a divine encounter with God and I respond, he changes something in my life. It's not like God says, I'm going to give you one divine encounter and then that's it. You know what you ought to do. No, God just says, I will encounter you. I will draw you in. I will, I will take your hurts and I will bring healing. I will take your anxieties and I will bring peace. I will take your mourning and I'll exchange it from joy. And I'm telling you what, our life should be a life lived of encounter to encounter to encounter with God. The second point is our faith is not perfect. Our faith is not perfect. Abraham's faith walk was not perfect. He stumbled through it at times. He gave his wife away twice. I'd only got away with that maybe once, and probably not even that. Nope. She says zero. Think about this. He decides to have an heir without Sarah. Actually, it was Sarah's idea. They're like, hey, you know what? I know God promised you, but it's uh, been a long time. I mean, think of, can, you, can you read into the interaction that must have happened? Sarah coming to him and go, 
Abe, this body ain't working. Maybe you should go find another girlfriend and go ahead and see if you can fulfill the promise of God. I mean, that's what's going on. And so, and then Abraham's response, come on. You think that was full of faith? Well, I'll take one for the family. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Look at his response. It's not good. And then look what it gave him. But here's the thing. But the one he put his faith in was faithful. So his his faithfulness was not perfect, man. He stumbled, he rumbled, he tumbled, he, he messed it up. And yet, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.13, but if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And I'm telling you, when the promises are still delayed, be faithful. In Romans 4.19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But this is, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen, this is such a key. In the delay, Abraham still grew strong in his faith. In the, in, the, in the delay, he still gave glory to God. And the Bible says, listen, God can take weak things and make them strong. God can take our weak faith, and if we'll just keep leaning into Him, He can make that faith strong because we see that that's what He did. you got to worship in your delay. You worship even though you stumble and your walk is not perfect. There's some of you here this morning, man, as I was praying during the during the worship, man, just a couple families came to mind. And there's families in here this morning that you have been praying for your kids. You've been praying for your children. And the promises of God is that which you've entrusted to Him He's able to keep until that day. I'm going to say don't stumble. Just continue to worship in the delay. Just believe in the deposit that you put into your, into your sons and your daughters. And at one point in time, I've seen it so many times where God will reach in and grab that anchor that's been put there by the foundation of the Holy Spirit and pull them back into the kingdom. And you don't give up. You just continue to walk. You don't waver. You don't stumble. You just, you know, and, and Abraham's cool because when we look at this, like he made so many mistakes. And yet God says in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to make you the father of all nations. I know you don't think much of yourself right now, but I'm going to make something out of nothing. You were a nobody. I'm going to make you a somebody because I'm, I'm God and that's what He does. Is that amazing? Can I have our worship team come up? God brings dead things to life. When you have faith, it attaches you to the God of the impossible. You know, and when you're attached by faith to God, what you find is you find hope can be restored. That passage in Romans has said, you know, hope against all hope. You can find that freedom is granted. There might be people here this morning that you have struggled with a certain area of your life and it's become such a condemning thing for you. I'm telling you what, God can break that today. 
He can break the addiction. He can break the alcoholism. He can break the porn addiction. He can break the self-image thing that you struggle with. He can break the eating disorder that you struggle with. So many of these things are because of our identity has not been up in Jesus. And when you, if, you could, if you could just see how Jesus looks at you, if you could just see how He sees you, fearful, wonderfully made, created in His image, you are the sacred things that God is doing. You know, in the Bible, it talks about I mean, Paul addresses the church so many times. Probably churches like this with people that are, you know, on one area. You know, a few weeks ago I talked about it. Everybody's got some smoke. Big smoke, little smoke. But here's Paul, and what's he called the church? He calls to the saints. To the saints. To the sacred things that God is doing. That's what you are. You're beautiful. God loves you. And when you have faith and it attaches you to the God of the impossible, there's things, there's dreams that come back to life. Listen, Sarah's womb was like a tomb. There was no hope. I mean, I I can't even fathom in my head. At 75 and she's probably 65, they get this promise. 25 years later, they're still waiting. He's 100. And I'm like, I don't know about you, young people, your 20s, 30s, teenagers, you have no idea. But I'm telling you what, as you get older, the check engine light comes on a little more often. And when we get real old, it stays on. You know what I'm saying? Now, mine ain't stayed on all the time, but it's like flickering here and there. I'm like, whoa, this just doesn't, things just don't. Listen, when you look at what happened, this is a miracle. And it was a big thing to them, but it was not. Listen, the very thing that's a mountain to you is like a plane to God. What's a giant to you is nothing to God. He's the God of the impossible. Abraham said he was as good as dead, and in the light of the impossible, life became possible. So how do we apply this to our life today? Romans 4.23, let me read read this to you again but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone what but for ours also and it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification justified never sin justified never sin I'm believing this morning that there are people here yet have have yet to make that declaration and decision of faith and loyalty to Jesus. Maybe you know about Him, but you've never taken the step to say, I'm pledging my fidelity to Him. I'm pledging my loyalty to Him. And I'm telling you what, if you are encountering any part of the, 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 the Spirit of God today, there's something in you that if you will respond, I'm telling you, your life will be absolutely changed. Now the enemy wants to come in and say, man, there's some things I don't want to give up. But I'm telling you what, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And you have no idea until you step into that and respond to that. Will you respond to the divine invitation of God? Will you attach and transfer your loyalty and enter into what Jesus is doing today? Listen, you may be here. 
and recognize that your faith is faltering. Wander. You may be here and you go, man, I, I haven't had the perfect faith walk. Well, neither did Abram. Neither did Abraham. So hang in there. Worship. Let your faith be strengthened. Get back to prayer. Get into the Word. Be gathering consistently in church. See, God can take weak things and make them strong. God can take nothing and make something out of it. God can take the insignificant and make it significant. He can take barren soil and stir it up again. He will take your nothing and He'll make you into something. That's the God that I know. That's the God that we see in the Bible. Having faith in Jesus is a transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He justified the ungodly and then invited them to trust Him, to attach to Him, to walk with Him. And then our hearts are turned. And then we begin to live in a righteous way. Our minds are transformed. Sins are forgiven. Our shame and condemnation no longer weigh us down. The future is bright. I don't care what the news says. I'm telling you what, the future is bright. Because my God is on, uh, uh, my, 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 my King is on the throne. The future is bright. You have hope. You don't live as those without hope. Come on, we have hope. And maybe today, this is the day to reaffirm your faith, your loyalty, your fidelity, and partner again with Jesus.